All right, you all made it here through the construction. Congratulations. You get an A plus for the day. If it was just that easy, huh? Jim, you're going to read, buddy, right? Yes, sir. Deuteronomy 5 or 6. 6, 5 through 9. There we go. Just what it says. Page 151 in the Bibles below the seats. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign in your hand and they shall be on your front Let's between your eyes, you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Deuteronomy 6, 5 through 9. Thanks, Jim. Appreciate that. There we go. Nice work. So we're going to take a little break here. We're kind of going through the Old Testament, major book, major person at a time. It's Father's Day, and uh, we're just going to zoom in on that today and then resume next Sunday with uh, some more poetry book kind of stuff. Okay, that's what we're doing. So happy Father's Day. And that's... Um, We'll get to that in a second here. But we are Grace Life Bible Church. We are centered on the grace of God. We are related to God through grace. We're sustained by his grace. And so um, everything we do, our, our core values of knowing God, experiencing God, growing <clears throat> in healthy relationships, impacting others, that all forms rhythms individually. It should be forming rhythms for us, Monday through Friday kind of rhythms that we, we do something related to our walk with God. And then our ultimate aim is to make disciples, to be a disciple and make a disciple. I've said this before, and this may shock you, but everybody makes disciples. Every living person on the planet makes disciples. A disciple simply means a learner, a follower. So in the broad sense, everybody is pointing to someone or something that gives them ultimate meaning and value to which they submit. They are a student and they follow and they say, that is my beacon in life. Okay. So in that broad sense, some people, you know, follow this, that, the other thing. We just happen to think it should be Jesus. Okay, so we're disciples of Jesus. We're following Jesus. We learn from Jesus. And um, when we say disciples, we have that biblical narrow sense, and that probably shouldn't surprise you. Okay, so um, if, if we sold bumper stickers here, which we're not going to do, it would say experiencing and extending God's grace. That's kind of, that's kind of what we're about. We experience his grace. And we're called to extend it. Now today, fathers, children, mothers, children, that, that's a hard environment, right, to extend grace. Because you, we get that, that year after year exasperation going. How many times do I have to tell you? And that repeated, that just makes it hard. But still, God's grace is powerful enough for that situation. And we'll, we'll get into that in a bit. So, experiencing and extending God's grace. It's been a while since I, I gave you this quiz. I thought this, it's time again for this quiz. Three words, put them in the right order. Which comes first? Believe, behave, belong, it's a bit of a trick question because if, if you're thinking in terms of salvation, well, obviously belief comes first. I mean, you're related to God by belief, okay? So, but, but at salvation, you believe and then you belong and then comes the behaving. Now, the beauty of this model is we are secure in our belonging as we learn to behave. 
Did you catch that? That's profound. You're secure in your belonging to God through Jesus as we learn, stumble, good days, bad days, the behaving. Some people put that, okay? Some people put that uh, around. And so here's the performance posture of the Pharisees and some people that you may know. <laughs> um, believe like us, and you better behave like us, and only then will we accept you, okay? It's that the tensions between the be behaving, like wh when you behave well enough, long enough, then you can belong. Well, you can imagine you're never going to have that assurance of belonging because you're never going to behave good enough, right? So that's kind of a trap. Um, and then there's Jesus, what I call his social posture, which is just very, very unusual, all right? Um, the ten, the, the, he, he says, belong with me, hang out with me. I love you, I'll Matthew, the crooked tax gatherer who's stealing from everybody, come along, let's have lunch, follow me. So, so the deal here is you don't have to agree with Jesus for him to love you. You don't have to agree with Jesus for him to love you. He loves people that don't agree with him. He loves people that are messy, that are far, far away, and invites them socially to hang out. So I'm challenged by that uh, as, as social interaction. You know, do we have a green light? Like, come in. I'd love to hang out with you. And, oh, I know we're vastly different in our politics or whatever else it is, but we should be those people that say, belong with me, hang out, and let's... Okay, so that's, um, that's, that's just kind of fun. So... Uh, it's Father's Day, and uh, I've, I've shared some stuff about my dad in the past. He grew up during the Depression, dirt poor, locusts came and took the crops, and uh, the tra his tractor got repossessed, and, and he'd be at our kitchen table and talk about those days, and he's like 90 years old, he would start weeping. And I'm like, how deep does that hurt? That, that this 90-plus-year-old man starts weeping for those days. I'm like, do not 70 decades kind of, kind of make you forget? Apparently not. But, you know, back in that day, they didn't have podcasts and books and men's groups and seminars and all this stuff that we do about, yeah, what does it mean to be a father? What does it mean to be a man? What does it mean to be a husband? And how do I raise teenage adults? All this, they got nothing. They had church and groups, but everybody was equally without resources. And so today I'm going to be throwing up just a couple resources that Donna and I have found helpful. And so that's just a, one of the things for today. First up is this book, and we did a little Sunday school thing about a year or two ago, and it's called Doing Life with Your Adult Children. And man, it's a super good book. So I'm reading this book, and like every page I'm highlighting, I'm like, look at this. It says, don't do this, and we do this. Oh, you know, and so I would tell our kids, you know, my two boys, like, hey, we're, we're reading this book, how to, how to do life with adult children. You know, how are you doing? They kind of get this goofy smirk, like, it's cool, you're trying, but you know, and anyway, it's all right. So here's, here's a quote from that book, trust that experience is a better teacher than advice. If we keep our mouths shut and keep the welcome mat out, we increase the odds that our children will come to us for guidance on their own. And that's super hard because, you know, we're like, well, it's advice. We have wisdom. We're not criticizing. And it's just, it's taken differently. So anyway, that's just a, that's a good resource. So today, watching dads versus raising dads. And a secondary important question, do you take God's name in vain? Okay, right away you're like, they got nothing to do with each other. What are you talking about? They do have something and I'm going to explain how they connect. Okay, but primarily watching dads 
raising dads, and there are there are basically two kind of dads, and we can throw in moms too. But you know, there's there's the watching dads that just watch kids grow up, and then there's the training and raising dads that, that are intentional and and they they have a plan and and this kind of thing. So. Let me ask you this, what is the most important thing about you? You've probably heard this before, the most important thing about you is how you think of God. How you think of God will direct your time, your resources, who you become, who you hang out with, all of those things are um, revolving around how you think about God. And God is our Heavenly Father, and for better or for worse, it is just a reality that all of us have some some connection between how I view my earthly father and how I view my heavenly father. And a lot of times that's not good or healthy or accurate. We need to, I'm going to use a word here, that's kind of a flash word in our current culture, deconstruct our, our, our image of God if it's been tainted by our earthly father and reconstruct it based on scripture and Jesus who came to show us an accurate picture of the father. You see what I'm saying? And so I'm fully aware that I'm not a perfect dad and that whatever, whatever gaps and glitches and pain are, are in my boys' lives because of me, that the, the grace of God can and will meet them there and they will go on. That's just the reality of it, okay? So um, if you struggle with something about an earthly father, Pay attention to how that might be impacting how you view your Heavenly Father. That's just, a, that's just a fair, good question. Acknowledge that there's probably some kind of connection there, and that might be helpful, okay? So, Jesus came to show us, John 14, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. <clears throat> He's a perfect example of the Father. Jesus was loving, caring, wise, protected, available, interested, and God the Father is loving, caring, protective, wise, and available, and, and that's, that's who our God the Father is, okay? So, yet we often think when I sin, when I'm bad, when I'm selfish, that, that God like, like uh, is mad, displeased, and, and wants to shame us, right? That's what we get from our earthly fathers. How could you do this? What's wrong with you? Okay, those questions come in, and, and we start to, to think God is far away from me now, and he's no longer pursuing me. He doesn't even want to be with me because of the things I've done and keep doing. So I challenge you, do, here's a question. Do you parent your kids in such a way that they know they are loved on their worst day? Do you know you're loved on your worst day? In the middle of your sin, do you understand that God is still loving you, pursuing you, longing to be with you? It's us who run away and hide and under that performance thing that, oh, I got to behave because then God will like me. If I misbehave, oh, he's going to be super mad. Now, sin is a problem, of course, but Jesus died for that, and we have that access to God. So here's, here's resource number two. It's this fun book called On My Worst Day by John Lynch. This guy understands grace in ways I probably never will. And so um, it's not, a, you know, some books like chapter one, here's the thing, and he builds on that in chapter two, and it's like a big, long thing. This book is a lot of little snapshots of his whole life, little kid growing up about Here's the situation, and this was just a train wreck, and then God's grace was calling me in the midst of my sin through that situation. Next chapter, a little different situation. And the chapter on him, 
<laughs> Stealing his dad's nickel collection to buy cake at the bakery is worth the whole book. If just those three pages are worth the whole book. Anyway, I won't even get into it because I'll start laughing hysterically. So that's a good book. All right. But is there a gap between what you think about God and the reality of God? Right? Probably. So what is the gap? How do we address that gap? And so um, listen to how God introduces himself. When God says, hey, this is who I am. He's talking to Moses. This is Exodus 34. I'll just read it. The Lord passed before the mountain, proclaimed to Moses, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. But who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Now, we've talked about this before, but if you weren't here, I really want to be clear on this. His grace goes to thousands, but the, the iniquity visiting for you know, a couple generations. What this means is that sin harms people downstream of us. We can create systems, paradigms, values that are sinful that just echo in our families. That's what it's talking about. It's not that he's hunting them down and you're like, oh, got you because great grandpa was broke the speed limit. That is not how it works. And we're grateful for that, right? Anyway, so, um, and it goes on in other passages and it says, this is for those who hate me. If you hate God, you, you can stop hating God. And, and repent and believe in him and, and no longer hate God. So that's, um, that's another sermon. But so how, how do we think about God? We're aware of maybe an earthly father's influence in that. How do we think about God? Um, do you, here, here's a good test question. You may not agree with this right now, but just put it in your pocket. Think about it this week. Do you think God punishes us or does he discipline us? If you're, if you're not really clear about the difference, think about the wandering in the wilderness for 40 years, 40 years wandering. Why did they wander for 40 years? Was it punishment? Because they did something wrong? They didn't have faith, so punish, suffer. Or was it discipline to train them? If it was discipline to train them, then it was actually gracious. He says several times, if you don't know, this is like a, a message equivalent. If you don't learn to trust me on the way to Canaan, you will be destroyed in Canaan because your only shot at survival is faith in me. And if you don't learn how to trust me, you're going to be dead. And so the gracious 40-year wandering was disciplined to educate and to train. So there's our first clue that when we train children, it's not always fun and happy. Don't, don't fall into the trap of trying to be your, your, your kid's friend, all right? We're, we're, we're father and mother, and that comes with, with authority and uh, responsibility and, of course, love and encouragement. But um, so, so do you think God punishes us or disciplines us? Maybe that's a lunchtime conversation that you can dig into. That would be good. Um, okay, so watching dads, raising dads. Uh, years ago, 2008, it was, um, I don't know, it was a Thursday night. And I had taught a class at Grace till 10 p.m. I came home, I kind of had a cold, I kind of sick, and I just went straight to bed. My mom had cancer at the time, struggling with that, uh, good days, bad days, and um, Donna had gone over to check on her. We lived in Elkhorn, um, and um, 
Anyway, my mom and dad lived in Elkhorn, and we went, she went over there, and mom, she was just on the floor. And so Don is like, John, get over her quick, immediately. So I get over there, and mom's gone, and she's just on the floor, had a heart attack. So then, you know, the fire trucks, the ambulance, the police, all, all this stuff goes on. It's midnight, and you're just like, wow. What, what? So a lot of things go on. A sheriff comes in to the house to coordinate everything, and after all this busyness, even crime scene lady came and took pictures. I'm like, okay, whatever. It's all new to me. And so the sheriff is standing there at midnight, and I'm like, well, what, what are you doing? He says, I'm here to secure the scene. I'm like, okay, I didn't know the scene needed to be secured, but I said, well, since you're here and I'm here, tell me some stories. I mean, you're a sheriff, you must have stories. So he starts telling me stories. And he told me a story once about a kid called 911 because his parents, true story, his parents were making him eat vegetables. So he goes to the house, you know, you know, it's just like 911, is everything okay? And he quickly sees what's going on. And um, he tells the parents, stand over here, I'll take care of this. He goes to the kid and just rips into him about, your parents give you a room, food, a roof over your head, and you are doing this because, you know, and then he walks out and says, that should probably take care of it. You know what I mean? So anyway, a couple other stories, but then he made this profound statement that I will never forget. He said... There's a difference between raising children and just watching them grow up. Most people just watch them grow up. I'm like, wow. Here's a guy who sees the result of most people just watching their kids grow up. There's no training, there's no raising. And I'm like, that is profound. There's a difference between raising your children and just watching them grow up. Most people just watch them grow up. So let's take a look at two kinds of dads, watching dads and raising dads, okay? Some, in scripture, some dads just watch. Eli is one of those. He's a bad man and no surprise, he's a bad father. He's the father of Hophni and Phinehas. Why? So um, 1 Samuel 2 says this, Now the sons of Eli were worthless men. <laughs> They did not know the Lord. That's kind of straight up, right? Doesn't sugarcoat it. Uh, the first mention of Eli is, is when, you know, okay, I'll get to Hannah. Hannah doesn't have a child. She's praying. And Eli sees this woman, you know, kind of praying and sort of, you know, muttering under her breath and praying. And his first assumption is she's drunk. Nice. That tells me a little bit about Eli, where he spends his time. Anyway, that's what he does. So um, his sons were worthless men, and they're not just hypocritical. They're full-on rebellious, and he doesn't do any. He doesn't rebuke them. He tries to reason with them like a friend, but he doesn't come in like a strong father to train them. He doesn't rebuke them. Just lets it go, all right? So low here, here's sort of, if I can characterize... Eli, low character, passive, watching, unengaged fathers tend to create wayward children. Now, A plus B does not equal C. There are low character, passive, watching, unengaged fathers whose children find the Lord and walk with him, and, and that's amazing. That's an exception. So A plus B doesn't equal C in the good sense that we want to, and it doesn't in the bad sense that we don't want. Okay, that there are exceptions, but generally we see that here. Okay, um, the next up is Samuel. He's the father of Joel and Abijah. Now Samuel, he's a good man, but he's a bad father. Why is that? This is interesting because um, 
Like I said, Hannah and Elkanah had no children, and so they're praying that they would have children. Um, Eli sees Hannah praying, thinks she's drunk, and they, God answers that prayer, and so they have baby Samuel, okay? Now, Hannah's prayer, part of it was, if you give me a child, I'll de dedicate him to you, and so she has to bring him to the temple precinct and turn the child over to Eli, who's a bad man and a bad father. He's going to be in charge, of, and right? Don't you think she knew the character that Eli was? How hard would that be? Like, Lord, I promise this, but this guy? It's like, here you go. And so Samuel grows up. His heart is tender before the Lord. He can hear the Lord speak. Eli, the priest, he can't hear God speak, right? Thinks he's having a dream or whatever. So you got this, this big difference there. And so Samuel is a good man, but a bad father. Here's a verse that helps us understand that. When um, Samuel became old, he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn, Joel and Abijah, they were judges in Beersheba. Yet his sons did not walk in his ways, but turned aside after gain, money. They took bribes and perverted justice. So why is that? He's a good man. Isn't it automatic if you're a good man that you have good children? If you're a good woman, you have good children. It's not automatic. It's not fair. Sorry. I didn't make this up. It's just the way it is. All right. So um, what mental movie does do a Joel and Abijah have? What, what do they see their father do? Here's another verse. It's amazing. Samuel judged Israel all the days of his life, and he went on a circuit traveling year by year to Bethel, Gilgal, and Mizpah. And he judged Israel in all those places. He is a busy, busy guy. He's gone from home all the time, year after year after year. So Joel and Abijah, they have no mental movie of their dad interacting with them, teaching them, training them. It's hard for Samuel to even just watch him grow up because he's not even there. You see what I'm saying? So th this, this concerns me because I can be a good man and, and be a bad father. Th it's not automatic, okay? <clears throat> so here's, here's kind of a summary of this. High character, but watching absent fathers can, it's not inevitable, A plus B doesn't equal C, can create confused children who lack the grounding to navigate the landmines of life, whether it's materialism or gold glory girls, whatever the, the pitfall is, um, those are the things that we need to look out for. It seems like these troubled kids never had a dad that was sat them down and coached and trained. And that takes a lot of time. And, and unfortunately, the most valuable time is usually not scheduled time. It just pops up. And you have to jump on that and capitalize on that when it happens. All right? That's hard to do when you're out of town um, doing stuff. So you may be a spiritual rock star, but your lack of mental preparation to train could be the Achilles heel in your children's life. All right? Intentional training using resources. Do you know how to train children. I kind of felt like I was a deficit because my, my dad, his dad was deaf, so my dad never talked to his dad. Couldn't, didn't happen. So my dad's mental movie is you don't talk to children because he didn't. And so I grew up without kind of close, intimate guidance from my father. No real good, you know, it, I'm sure he was trying, but as, as a teenager, I'm like, you never, this didn't happen or whatever. I, I'll take that, right? That's just part of that thing. But hats off to him and and maybe you grew up with with no resources he my dad did what he could with what he had so that's all any of us can do right so fair enough i'm grateful for he was very very gracious <laughs> i would i would i would jump 
and, and touch the ceiling of the kitchen with my elbow to see if I could. And I'm like, Dad, look, I, I can jump that high. I see the marks on the... And then one day, and in, in, I'll never forget this, alphabet, a box of alphabet cereal. Uh, there was this glow-in-the-dark wand. I don't know, what movie or something? This little plastic that glow-in-the-dark. I take it downstairs to the fireplace, pick up a log, and start smashing it. <laughs> Maybe I needed counseling. But I broke the fireplace. The slate broke a hole in it. I'm like, Dad, I, I broke the fireplace. <laughs> like, he's all, all the, I get the truck stuck in mud, all this kind of stuff. And he would just be like, well, let's just try not to do that anymore. I'm like, you got it. That's good. He was super kind, super gracious. And... Um, Anyway, so a lot of good memories about that. He was uh, very slow to anger. And, um, but I, I don't, growing up, I don't remember him ever saying, I love you, I'm proud of you, you're, you're good at this or that. It just wasn't, he didn't have a mental movie for that. And I wasn't crippled or handicapped, kind of aware of it. But then one Father's Day, we're married, we're visiting him and my mom in Oregon. And whatever preacher on that day at church, he, I don't know what else he preached on. It's the best sermon I ever heard. Can't remember the sermon. I remember the effect. The guy said, your children need to hear you say you love them. I'm like, okay, whatever, that's good. And then we go. Before we leave, he hugs me in the garage And he says, I love you. I'm so proud of you. Important words for a kid to hear. And, um, and so those, those words are very, very important for fathers to communicate to their children. And so here's another resource in this book by Robert Lewis called Raising a Modern Day Knight. He just says the importance of you, you need to tell your kids, I love you. I'm proud of you. You're good at whatever it is. You know what I mean? And that needs to be authentic and frequent. And so um, we've incorporated that into our family, and uh, it's really, really good. So, um, and this actually shows up in Scripture. So here's the, 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 um, Matthew 17. Peter says to Jesus, it's good. This is the transfiguration. Peter's all excited. Hey, it's good we're here. I can build tents. And Moses, Elijah, and a bright light overshadows them. And this is what God says. This is my beloved son in whom I'm pleased. Listen to him. You see that? I love him. I'm proud of him. He's good at this. So listen to him. I mean, that, that's that right there. God is not ashamed of his son Jesus in the earthly form. So I encourage you. Pick that up and, and um, run with it. Okay, so uh, raising dads. So we talked about watching dads and raising dads. Salmon, uh, look like salmon. We're going to have that for lunch, but it's different. Salmon. Um, so it's uh, Salmon is the wife of Rahab, the prostitute in, in J Joshua chapter 2. And they have a son named Boaz who is like the best guy ever. How do you live in the days of Judges? Marry a prostitute and produce a son who is godly and has character that, that nobody else. What is that? And I've told you before, it's every Father's Day I'm going to talk about this, guys. He's my favorite character in the Bible, right? When we go to heaven, y'all are going to be in lines for David and Moses and Abraham, big long lines to talk to them. I'm going to go, Salmon and I, we're going to go mountain biking for like all day because no one's going to talk to him. Anyway, I'm just saying. How does, he, how does he grow up? His family must have been a family that experienced grace. His family must have been a family that extended grace. And so I've said before, what do you think the conversation was like when Salmon brings home Rahab? And, Mom, Dad, I'm dating this girl, the prostitute around the corner. 
At first, I used to think, oh, no, you're not. But then I thought, I wonder if that family had so embraced grace and experienced it so much that they're like, oh, honey, welcome. You will find forgiveness and wholeness here. We will extend the grace that we have found. I, I bet that's the vibe of that family. That blows me away. And so um, there's a transforming effect that Salmon has on Rahab. Because in, in all honesty, Rahab doesn't bring a lot to the table to raise children from her past. Salmon apparently, through the grace that he expend, uh, extended, transformed her life. And then together they transformed Boaz's life. And so um, that's what I call the generational power of grace. If you figure out grace and you infuse it in your family, that will carry on. Okay? And so for this... We've got Boaz, and then there's a guy named his son Obed, and then Obed's son was Jesse, who was the father of David. And you see this line of, of walking with God, understanding grace. Okay? And so, does transformation by grace describe your relationship with your spouse and your kids? Is that part of the normal process? That, that can be part of the normal process, okay? So here's kind of a summary. Raising, training dads don't just watch their kids grow up. Over the years, they shift their training tactics as they lead their kids to and equip their kids for independence. And so that is, you know, now my kids are mid-20s and I parent differently than when they were 12, obviously, right? And so, but we have to shift that, all right? So, um, It's possible to be a raising dad, to do everything right, and you're still, your kids still can go sideways because A plus B does not equal C. And so when that happens, don't shout at God, don't leave God. It, it's just one of those things in a broken world that everything doesn't always follow the way we think it should. He is still worthy of, of, of our worship. Okay, so... And now that's the generational power of grace, but there's also the generational power of the law. And I don't know what Moses knew about grace, but Moses had a son named Gershom and he had a son named Jonathan. And Jonathan, grandfather Moses, becomes the leader in idolatry in the tribe of Dan. That's what he's known for. Judges 18.30. They were priests to the tribe of Dan, set up idols. It's just like... Wow, that's amazing. Okay, so <clears throat> how can we train our kids to fear the Lord? This is where I'm going to tie this together. Here's the verse, Exodus, do not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. The Lord will not hold him guiltless who, who takes his name in vain. Takes means carry or to bear. Now you read this verse and your first thought is, oh, speaking. I'm not supposed to say the name of the Lord in a bad way, curse and blasphemy. Let's go, oh, that's true. That this means so much more than just words. And yet, universally, that's how we think of this verse, okay? Going to go back to Exodus 32, talking about the clothing of the priests. I won't get into it too much. But other than that, to say that here, it said, The priest will bear the names of the sons of Israel over his heart on his breastpiece. There was a thing with 12 stones, the names of each tribe. Every time the priest went into the temple, uh, the priest is representing the people of Israel before God. And also he had a turban and on it was the name of God. And so the priest is representing the people to God, but the priest also represented God to the people. Okay, so that's just how that system worked. It was on Aaron's forehead, it goes on about that. Um, but then he says, you have seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I bore, I carried, I took you out 
Now therefore, if you obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. The whole earth is mine. You shall be to me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. Do you see what's going on here? He's shifting from just the priest representing God to the people. Now he's saying all Israel, every one of you is a kingdom of priests. Every one of you is to bear the name of God, to carry it in a meaningful way. It's not about speech. It's not about blasphemy. It's about hypocrisy. Okay? So to, to, to not take or carry God's name in vain, it, it, it would be to enter a covenant relationship with Yahweh and live no differently than the pagans around you. That's what this means. Okay? So for us, we enter a new covenant relationship with Jesus. To take God's name in vain, in that sense, would be to parent like we're just watching. To be no different than the pagans surrounding us who don't train or raise. We are to represent the presence of Yahweh to each member of our family and to each other all the time, 24-7. And that's a big order. And it's, it's, it's more complicated than just buying a, a WWJD bracelet. I don't even know. Is that a thing anymore? It was like 12 years ago. Anyway. You can Google it, maybe buy one. It's okay. Um, so the question is, how can you carry or represent God's name authentically before your family? You can share your own struggles. You can share your own prayer requests. Um, you can be honest with your kids and, and rejoice when God answers prayers. That's, that's good. But I think one of the best ways to do it is through everyday talk. Uh, this is a great book, kind of changed my whole perspective on parenting. Um, if you don't spend time thinking about God, you won't have much to say about God. This book says that children learn more from your offhanded everyday comments about God. That's where they build their theology, way more than organized, formal Bible devotional time. You can have Bible devotional time and then curse everyone like a sailor on the way to Walmart and guess what they're going to remember, okay? So anyway... Um, yeah, we are to be so absorbed with the goodness and holiness of God that it outflows in our daily comments to our kids. Um, we talk about God all the time. We explain who he is, what he's doing. So for us, as we experience God's goodness, his grace, his power, his answers to prayer in the midst of our struggles, we verbalize those things and kids pick up on that and they start to build their theology way more than you think they do. But you better, if you want to do this, you better, you better be quick because surveys say that the average father spends 35 minutes with their kids per week, five minutes a day. What are we saying in five minutes a day about God? What are we saying about the gospel? Do your kids know what the gospel is? Do you know what the gospel is? Do you, what do you think about God? Okay, here's, here's a question. This is the gospel our culture is selling. This is the gospel children will pick up unless you derail it. It's called moralistic therapeutic deism. Quickly, a God exists who created the world. He watches. He's passive. He watches us. He wants people to be good, nice and fair. The central goal is to be happy, to feel good. He doesn't need to be involved in your life except when you have a problem. And good people go to heaven. This is the gospel of our culture. If you think God wants you to be happy, 
Let's get back to scripture. Sacrifice is a normal part of the Christian life, okay? This is the real gospel, okay? God made the world and humans perfect and in relationship with God. We sinned, we rebelled, we lost that relationship. And uh, the penalty that we deserved for our sin was turned fully upon Jesus. He died, was buried, he rose from the dead, conquering sin, death, and darkness. And he offers new life through belief in him. That's why it's good news. It fixed everything that was broken. So the gospel also shows up in Corinthians. Uh, I delivered to you what was received. Christ died for our sins. He was buried. He was raised on the third day. He appeared to Cephas, appeared to 500. And, and um, so I just, I, I challenge you and challenge you, encourage and challenge at the same time. Um, talk about the gospel. Talk about God, his answers to prayer. Talk about your own struggles. I wish God would do this, but he's not. So we, what does that mean? Okay. So part of um, gospel parenting. Uh, here's a quick little story, and then we'll wrap it up. But um, Sarah is four, Brandon is three, and Brandon has a toy that Sarah wants. Brandon won't share. So Sarah hits Brandon, takes the toy. There's crying. You enter the scene, and you're like, okay, obviously I have to discipline Sarah. How do you do that? Here's the total controlling, harsh mode. I'll have to discipline you so you don't keep doing this. Eventually, you'll get the point. But until you do this, I'm going to keep disciplining you. Exasperation. What's wrong with you? I shouldn't have to keep doing this. You should figure this out. You don't seem to change. Third response is anger. How could you do that? I'm so ashamed of you. I'm so frustrated. When your father gets home, we're going to talk. And boy, oh boy. And if you're a parent, we've all been there at times. Here's, here's the fourth one, the gospel response. Self-control from the Spirit of God, understanding this is a teachable moment. So you, you manage your anger and you move forward with control. And you say, I know you can't stop hitting Brandon by yourself. The reason you do that is the sin in your heart. And Jesus died for that sin. If you pray to him, he'll help you not be angry. Remember, this is to a four-year-old, not to a college class. And he will help you to share the love like he shares his love. So let's pray, honey. Dear God, please help me to love you and obey you. I can't do it by myself. Please forgive me for hitting Brandon. Please help me to trust you. I know you're the only one that can turn my heart to you. And please help my mommy and daddy to love and obey you too. So that's just a, a simple way that the, the gospel does intersect our parenting. When we bear his name. We carry his name in a different way because we have a new covenant relationship with Jesus. That, that makes sense? And so it's not just our words, it's how we live. And uh, kids pick up on that stuff, all right? So I'm going to go on here to our key questions. We always like to end with some key questions about, so what? Do you think that God punishes you or disciplines you? That's a good question to think about. Are you watching, are you a watching dad or mom or a raising dad or mom? And whatever you are one day, we can slip the, you know, the next day. So just, that's just sort of a beacon. We want to head towards being a training, raising, equipping, raising them for independence. Are you, how are you carrying, bearing, taking God's name, representing God's gracious and kind character to your family? So those are some questions that we, we will ask, but we're so encouraged that Jesus loves us based not on how well we parent, because all of us have dropped the ball there lots of times. He loves us based on the performance of his son. We, we are secure enough to explore behaving without risking our identity in Christ because it's Christ who saves us, not, our, not ourselves. And that is good news. And so um, 
In case you're thinking, oh, my kids are like 60 years old. It's too late for me. It's never too late. It's never too late to have a conversation to, to maybe apologize or to say, I'm still growing and learning. And, you know, maybe there is an opportunity for, for reconnection. And maybe you have parents that are just off the ranch and, and abusive or this or that. And, and it's a long process, but to get to the point to understand um, and accept and love them in a way that Jesus would have you, that you still might need some barrier, bar, 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 boundaries, borders. Boundaries. <laughs> Borders sound like this barbed wire. Maybe. Anyway, you still might need some healthy boundaries for, for your own functioning. And, and that's another story. But all right. Lord, thank you for being a good father. You are the perfect father. And all of us have mental movies or maybe a lack of mental movies about parenting and fathering and mothering. And we just come to you broken and empty and needing and pray that you would help us reconstruct our vision of you as a good father. For those of us that are fathers, we pray that you would draw us to yourself, help us to learn to extend the grace that we've experienced, to treat our kids like this story with Sarah and Brandon with, with grace, composure, and training them to look to you for forgiveness. Thank you that you can forgive, that you do forgive, that you have forgiven. Uh, we love you and just are delighted to pursue you because of what you've done. We, our response to you is awe, worship, and glad obedience because of your good character. Amen.